This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Paul Cobber. <laughs> I'm Lisa Governor. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, I'm I'm totally unprepared, and I'm Julie. That's because you're a tin horn. Oh, I'm a tin horn. I didn't even know the word. Hello, I'm Terence. I'm an ex-firster. Oh boy, that is got something. <laughs> All right, I, a tin horn. I I looked it up. It's a person who, uh, a contemptible person, especially one pretending to have money, influence, or ability. Oh, you wait, tin I'm horn a tin politician. Horn. Oh no. Sorry about that. Harsh. I know, uh, right? Thanks, Jesse. Uh, Paul, you're a cobber. Uh, did you look up the etymology of that one? Because I think Terrence might know it. I did not look up the etymology, but... Why... Terrence, do you know it? No, I don't know the etymology, although... I thought that was English slang. Australian. Yeah, oh, Australian, okay. Yeah, so, um, and it might be related to the word comrade. Ah, yes. Oh. Which makes sense, because this is a revolution book. It's not a policing book. It's a lie! Police Your Planet by Lester Del Rey is not a policing book. It's a revolution book. And uh, I, 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 I found, I found nice. a cobber yep. friend. This well-known Australian English word probably has its origins in Yiddish chabber or, oh. or comrade. It's first recorded in Australian English from the late 19th century, but came to have particular resonance through the First World War through its use by Australian soldiers. Mm-hmm. So this is not everybody, I think, will agree. Maybe maybe Terrence will think it's profound and deep and amazing, but I think everybody can agree that this is not the greatest science fiction novel ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, True. Terrence, uh, am I wrong? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. I, 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 was a, I have no illusions about it. Uh, so, um, I, I read this in paperback. Um, Probably in the edition I sent you guys, the the there's a guy w- holding a gun, sitting on a pile of bodies, and there's a lady leg clinging to him. Um, oh, that was where the leg clinging came from. Yeah, that's yeah. where the leg clinging came from. Okay. Yeah. I'm a big fan of leg cling. I think it's hilarious. Uh, whether it's, uh, <laughs> Absolutely, leg cling is the best part about this. Then. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice leg cling book, and the relationships <laughs> in here are ridiculous and. There's all sorts no of weird, weirdness that, and, but, um, Lester Del Rey is kind of famous for one story I think we all probably are familiar with, um, Helen O'Loy. Oh, yes. I, I was yes. thinking of Nerves myself. Yeah, Nerves is, uh, I guess his, his number two, if you were going through, like, I, I did look at his obituary and stuff like that, and that's, they always mention those two. Um, they mention a lot of, they, sometimes they mention this, this book. Um, he didn't write as much as one might think. Um, a lot of his stuff is not actually written by him. Was and, he more a publisher or editor? Yeah, than, that's what he's really okay. famous for, okay. is basically yeah. shaping the paperback industry. And um, so even though this is not the greatest novel, I, I was really in the mood for something light. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to put a lot of effort in. Luckily, this was <laughs> sick, so... Um, I didn't have to do a lot of deep thinking. <laughs> I I don't know. I had to I had to deep dig deep to pay attention. Yes, yep. to keep going. To I keep agree. Pulling. I kept forgetting where I was and what was yes, happening. Me too. 
the, I think that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> wow, that's better. Um, I think that part of the problem is the narrator is a, you have to turn, if, if you just listen to the podcast, you should turn it to like 1.2 times speed at least, because he, he reads incredibly slowly for some reason. Um, you have to police yourself from hurting somebody. Yeah, um, and he's got an accent, but I can't place it. It's it's some sort of Eastern United States accent, I think. Oh. I, and by Eastern, I, it could be anywhere east of the Rockies. I have no idea. Um, did Did you all listen to the? Can you no. I, no? I, I, I listened. Uh, yeah, I listened to the narration. Yeah, and I found no no offense no offense to the narrator. I mean. You, you get what you pay for. I found I found his voice tedious and slow. You definitely need to do it one point one point two or higher. It was perfectly adapted to the to the novel. It was um, implacable. It sort of put you into like a it. trance of, uh, of violence and beating up and beating up and beating That's up. Just doing what everybody tells you to do, time after time after time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I like that reasoning. Mm. Sure, he did it deliberately. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciated that it was a bulldozer, uh, you know, through the plot because um, when I remember reading, what I remember of reading it is that it was fast. It was a fast oh. read, yeah. um, and you to just tear through the book real quick. It's, it's five hours long uh, as it is, but if you turn it up to one point two, it's you know, it's a little shorter than that. And this is actually a very sweet spot for uh, science fiction novels. We don't... Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the actual book, because I don't think it's that interesting. But um, I do want to talk about the period and what he's doing and all the things that... So where this book sort of fits in science fiction. Um, so I kept thinking about how this is... Moon is a harsh mistress, except on Mars. And... With more um, more influence from the noir Mickey Spillane sort of books. I, I knew that you were going to call it noir, mm-hmm. and I was and, and it's I was thinking, noir, but it's, 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 I was thinking it's more like tar. Stay. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> I like your spirit. Well, and it's I a agree. dirty planet. Was he was? My problem was he seemed to just have the same scenario over and over. He changed the location and the reason and a couple of names, and then we do the same thing again. Yeah, it was ground. Yeah, with very few variations. And so here we are back. Oh, I, I had hope for a little while. Nope, I'm back to shaking people down and breaking heads. And I thought, I think if he'd have been maybe had somebody else edit him or not needed it for his magazine or whatever, or it's that thing where you go, I think you could have made this a 15 page short story and we would have gotten the point. Hmm. I don't think it could be a, a short story just cause well, he's got too much going on. Uh, I, I mean, didn't see it here. So here's, you'll have to explain. Well, I, I, I like that you pointed out something that I didn't point out on Twitter. Um, did anybody else catch what what Julie just mentioned casually there? <laughs> that it was published in his magazine. So oh. Philip St. John, who is editor of uh, several future publications, uh, publications that is magazines, um, including science fiction adventures, was actually Lester Del Rey. So 
uh, one of the things I included in the PDF is um, some of the editorials um, in where he praises this novel. <laughs> That's a little <laughs> incestuous. Uh, oh, I love think? that, actually. And then not only that, what? Not only does he do that, he also uh, defends the novel against critics. Oh. Uh, and the thing is, is he gets fired very shortly, very <laughs> actually in this year, 1953, from uh, from Future Publications. Um, I don't think it's because of this novel. I think it's because of a number of. Uh, he's basically juggling everything. He he was editing four magazines. Mm. Um, he's writing editorials. Uh, for all of them, as far as I can tell. He's also um, writing short stories and essays for those magazines. And he's writing this novel. I'm pretty sure he's writing this novel while he's publishing it. So the first issue comes out in March 1953. The last is September, so it's two months between each issue. Um, But if you look at the the details, he says it's going to be a three-part serial. It turns out it's a four. How come he didn't know that? Because <laughs> he didn't finish writing it, is my thinking. And that's why, if you look at the serial, it, the last one's huge. Um, and he's getting it all jammed in there because people hate the serial. Uh, <laughs> he kept saying, you know, don't worry, we're going to stop doing serials pretty soon. Um, but on the other hand, some people love them. <laughs> I'm getting these letters. Um, and I know a lot of people hate them, but... Some people love them. And this is um, like the, uh, I think March is the third issue um, when he starts the serial. And there was, I think, a, a two-part serial in the in the first two issues or something like that. So um, he he's juggling a lot of stuff. And there's a lot going on in this book. Um, and I, I think the way it starts, he doesn't really know where it's going to end. And that's why it feels so sort of... Uh, disjointed and weird. Yeah. But actually, it's, the, it's, the beginning it's, was better. Like it, the first couple of paragraphs, I thought this is going to be okay, yeah, and then good, right? and then it just fell apart. Yeah, the first part was good. The first two yeah. or three bits, uh, chapters in the book. Yeah, as yeah. And then and it did have some noirish style, and but then yeah, um, it, yeah. But he hadn't gotten to the repetition <laughs> over and over. I'm going to do the same. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> same trick over and over again. So right. It it starts off fresh and then goes frankly south he gives himself a number of options right at the beginning Mm -hmm. um so first of all we're first thing we're told is he's been shipped to mars without his permission uh sounds like that that by the by the end of the book might be that yeah that probably is true but it's not 100 percent true because uh he was uh what what we How's the description? We don't get many men with your background. Cop, tin horn, fighter, who have brains enough for our work, so you're bound for Mars rather than Mercury mines. Well, what happens at the end of the book? You shipped off to Mercury. Well, Mercury is supposed to do the same thing, though. Yeah, Mars has been dealt with. Now it's time to send him to Mercury. I mean, yeah. the only difference is he gets the girl with to go with him, who's, who's <laughs> traded for a meal ticket for a ticket to Mercury and Mars. Up to Mercury from Mars. Yes. Yeah, there is a lot of repetition just in, in that word meal ticket, right? He keeps saying, you're, you've are you hitched yourself to a punched meal ticket. That means um, I, I'm useless, right? I can't mm-hmm. help you. Well, yeah. it may, maybe part of what the repetition does that's annoying is 
as you pointed out, he leaves himself a lot of options at the beginning. We're ready for, oh, he's going to secretly help security. Oh, wait, he's very not clearly not a fan of security. Okay, maybe he'll learn to appreciate what security does. He'll join them then. Oh, no. All right. Maybe he'll, you know, and then, and then partway through you're going, okay, well, there must be some security people here somewhere. At least that's what I was saying. And before any of them really pop up and I'm like, how about Izzy? Honest Izzy. I love him. He must be. No, he's not. <laughs> but, you know, and so he's, he kind of lays all these little tracks out there. And then to me, he didn't really pay off on any of them. It didn't seem like the guy really learned much. And, so then why did I get dragged through all this? You know, mm-hmm. the serial kind of answers some of that. He's spinning his wheels while he's throwing in there what he, whatever he's trying to throw in there. But it got lost for me. In, in the 1953 March issue, he, he goes through the issue in the editorial saying, you know, what's in the issue? Why, why you should be excited to buy this magazine <clears throat> about Van Lynn. Uh, Lester Del Rey, that's his pseudonym. <clears throat> pseudonym. He says, "Police your planet was chosen because it represents something we don't often see—a convincing picture of a planet in its early days of colonization, with a story behind it that isn't bogged down by the weight of that realism." We huh. had a feeling all the way through that this <laughs> yeah, was no real, kidding. but we also wanted to keep reading because we were enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, we all have our dreams. <laughs> yeah. Um, and th- this is not included in the um, the paper book either, uh, paperback, and the little editorial introduction. Mars was nobody's bargain at best. At worst, it was a world where Mother Corey and his granddaughter uh, belonged. But to Bruce Gordon, it was a one-way yellow ticket, a deck of cards, and a knife. Um, yeah. And then it just starts in, uh, no chapter, just starts in. No chapter title, which is, I think, pretty surprising. So we just get the book raw. And then, oh, he says, oh, it's page uh, uh, somewhere along the line. He gets chapter three. I was like, where's chapter two? <laughs> it's super sloppy. That's, uh, that's what I'm telling you. Like, if you look at the, the, um, the table of contents from March 1953, it says Science Fiction Adventures Magazine content march uh, sorry contents march 1953 volume one number three but if you go to the next issue it it's no longer science fiction adventures it's science fiction adventures singular Uh even though on the cover it says adventures this is super sloppy that's why he's getting fired right it's because he's got too many things going on and uh, well, he was not detail-oriented anyway. I don't know. But. Uh, 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 can, can you imagine editing four magazines and writing a novel at the same time? Yes, it's all getting done badly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and he he literally like is apologizing uh, for <laughs> for errors. You know, we thought we were gonna. I I was told I had to have a advertisement on that page so we cut something and we didn't know what page number and it's on the table of contents. Sorry about that. Oh man. Yeah. Um th- this is also the height of the massive growth in science fiction magazines. 1953 is the super ramp up that basically peaks in 54 
or maybe end of 53, and then basically nosedives after uh, 55, and slowly, you know, peters out into until paperbacks take off. So I, I, I think as a as a product of that period, that's why this book is really interesting because it, most of the time when people talk about serials, serialized science fiction magazines, I don't believe that they were uh, written while they're being published. Uh, I, I guess Dickens did that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he was a genius though, but he, he was also editing his own magazine, right? So he, yep. he knew his prolific out, output, but he wasn't editing everybody else's. Uh, he did put other people's stuff in there, but um, and he edited them too. Yeah. Elizabeth Gaskell especially would have these huge fights with him over it. Right. So uh, I I think that most science fiction stuff, you know, people would submit it and then it would get serialized, and usually they'd fight with it, you know, over changes and stuff like that. Here, he's his own editor. So um, that makes- I think a lot that can be. Uh, I'm just saying a lot of the um, problems that this book has can be attributed to that but terence you've got uh you you've done more comparison than i have uh yes because um in the um published novel we don't understand uh, the motivation of um sheila and uh in in the serial there's a a sort of backstory because in the novel, um, when he first meets her, um, she's um, uh, knocked him out and she's stolen his money. Mm-hmm. But he wakes up and she's patching the the suit and sh- there are tears falling from her eyes. Mm-hmm. And um, later on in the serial, we, um, we meet um, uh, a girl in her gang called uh, Hilda who explains that Sheila was just becoming independent, putting a gang together, and the gang required her to go out and um, make a hit and get more money, otherwise they would uh, just leave her. And so that seems to explain why she attacked um, uh, Gordon and why she was sort of crying. And um, later on, at another moment, Hilda, everything concerning Hilda was uh, written out in the novel. Um, she um, was totally in debt, and Gordon was assigned to take her to the the labor market where she was going to be legally formulated. Um, it was um, helpful um, procuring employment, but she was being sold as a slave. Uh-huh. And that explains um, later on when he meets. Uh, Sheila again. She's quite uh, uh, vehement, and there's a, a line she says um, that's not in the novel. Um, uh, this is for what you did to Hilda. Mm. And there's a <clears throat> somewhere else in between those two. Uh, um, uh, Gordon has her outside the dome in a little shack, and he he. He's going to leave her there um, with her helmet off so she can't escape, but she'll be alive. He's always been good-hearted um, but violent, and he forces her to kiss him. And and the first time it's um, mechanical, and he can feel her uh, groping for his knife. And <laughs> I like it. The second, 
the second time um, uh, he can feel her responding. And, uh, this is before the marriage. So this is sort of, um, getting clear on the relation, um, uh, of love and hate and, um, attraction uh, and attraction, um, uh, and also the motivation of, um, Sheila, who in this version saw him the first time he arrived with, um, uh, Mother, Mother Corey and, thought she saw admiration in Mother Corey's eyes, so she hated him um, <laughs> straight away yeah. because of that. So right. there's more backstory, and there's even um, uh, he, he um, reflects that um, a psychologist had told him back on Earth um, that he had been, um, uh, uh, as a defense mechanism, he'd overcompensated and he hid all his soft feelings because of being afraid of being hurt behind um, a tough uh, mechanical um, exterior. And uh, that is not in the novel, but a couple of times um, uh, Sheila calls him a machine uh, as if he he were devoid of um, feeling. So maybe that was too much. Maybe that one he cut out because it was too much. Um, But the other things he should have put back in when when he – did the the fixed up version of the novel in in uh, in the seventies? Mm-hmm. Really put stuff in and taken stuff out. He needed an editor. Yeah, only thing he did, as far as I can t- added, as far as I can tell, is just the t- chapter titles and and the chapters as well. Because, like I said, chapter two is missing. Mm-hmm. Editor, <laughs> edit thyself. Yeah. <laughs> never, never. Well, uh, it, I, I like the chapter title. At least your prose. But that's, yes, miss your pros. But don't you think a better title for this would have been um, "Girl Gangs of Marsport" or something like that? <laughs> well, then they'd have had to put more girl gangs in. Uh, one. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> well, I know, but that's a different book. I was going to say it makes me think also of John Campbell, who may not have been yeah. spread quite so thin, but he was quite a prolific person and did all the editing and recruiting, and but also uh, not the greatest writer in the world, but exactly. definitely knew a good story, um, even if he wasn't the most talented at telling it, and he could tell it in a clear fashion. Um, you know, I'm now appreciating him much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Del Rey. I mean. Uh, He's got his own imprint, right? Uh, right. <clears throat> that Del Rey version I'm talking about with the with the leg cling yes. is in a Del Rey book, right? Yes. Okay. Apparently, Del Rey is named after um, uh, his wife, his fourth wife, or whatever. He, he he's just a fucking liar. His name <laughs> is is like super long, and none of it is really him, right? And Lynn, right? The the guy who wrote Eric Van Lynn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, but that's him. He yeah. also apparently told, like, if you read his Wikipedia entry, that there's endless lies he's telling. He's a professional liar. Um, but uh, here's the closing editorial for the final part of the serial. Um, <laughs> it's entitled, uh, "But It Could Happen." <laughs> uh, Eric Van Lynn serial is coming to a close this time, and much as we've enjoyed it, we've. We're frankly happy to see its end. <laughs> I'm sick of writing this stuff and getting yelled at, you guys. Since we've had nothing but trouble with it. <laughs> that is n- not just putting it in the magazine, but also complaints. 
Still, we hope you'll agree with us after finishing this installment that it was worth it. We think it's a darn fine yarn. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, doesn't anyone like it? Write to me. Um, It's not terrible. It's just it it is all over the place and uh, it's just not great. Yeah. No, but But I think it is terrible. It is terrible in a certain sense. Like it's, I think it's terrible as a whole. Yes. But I think individually, it's got lots of fun bits. Individually, and it doesn't overstay its welcome either. It's very short. I do love Mother Corey. Yeah, it should have been about Mother Corey more. It 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 feels like it feels like um, a sort of a very pulpy version of Moon is a Harsh Mistress. He he's coming at it wrong. Right, he he's got the agent of change being. Not only is he a a, a boxer, I think he's an ex boxer, ex gambler, mm-hmm. ex cop, mm-hmm. ex. Um, uh, oh, most importantly, he's a whistleblower, kinda. And that's yeah. the reason. Like uh, they say, he stole some documents. Um, he was working for a yellow journal, um, aka that's, you know, that's paper, right. right? Yeah. And so he shipped off to the colonies to by by sort of this benign uh, agency that is trying out for the best in humanity or something yeah, uh, as yeah. a traitor because he yeah. exposed yeah. treasonous documents that shouldn't have been seen the light of day and <laughs> and you know it's all over the place but if you if you squint a bit or you're sick it's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I'm listening to Lester Del Rey justify why he chose to do a podcast about a book. I'm not sure. <laughs> Jesse, I want to I want to talk about Durant's now. Okay. As as a nice side on. Okay, so I I I sent this to Jesse. I didn't send it to anybody else. There is a role playing game called Durant's, right. which is oh, really which which is about life on a prison colony planet and. The player and there are basically ten roles: five on the side of the colony administration, five on the side of the criminals, and the players plus enough number of NPCs to add up to ten. Basically, take these roles to basically have scenarios showing life on a alien planet slash prison planet, and the struggles and the tensions between between the police and police and the the criminal slash pioneers and within each ranks and vice versa and I kept thinking this of this novel as I was listening to it in terms of the of that and basically said okay so we have this character coming in so is he so he's really on the prison side but he might be working for the police and might not and I was kept thinking well this done right would be an interesting Durant's scenario, except the fact that things just kept getting repetition. I thought, well, the GM would just get the players sick of this by by midway through because they're just doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> the, 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 funny, the funny thing about Durant's is, I mean, it's explicitly supposed to be talking about Australia because at because you, you basically generate basically stats for your planet. That says, what's the threats? What's the what's the climate like? What's the alien fauna like and then at the end he gives you stats for australia to say like to show like yes this is really about the australian colony prison experience like and since we mentioned before cobber being an australian word i think lister joe was kind of trying to tap a bit into that whole australia as prison colony experience and it doesn't and sheila 
and Sheila. And Sheila. Sheila. Yeah. But yeah. but it it feels much more like a gloss of paint than actually thinking about the issues and ideas of having a colony planet. This also, Jesse, reminds mm. me of um, Jerry Pornell's Codominium's Co World, in other words, the world of the Moten God's Eye. Mm -hmm. Because, oh, because yeah. one, one, early on in that history, hundreds of years before the Moten God's Eye, the, when they're starting, the, the, the Bureau of Relocation, basically the U.S. and the Soviet Union, are, are sending undesirables out to be colonized in space. And one of them is a prison planet called Sparta, which eventually becomes the center of civilization when everything goes collapsing. And I kept, so Sparta is definitely modeled on Australia. So, hmm. Lester, I could have done a lot more with this. He could, he, I mean, if he had done some real digging into the history of Australia as a colony and as a prison colony, he could have done a lot more with that in this novel. But he didn't. He seemed content to just to have this quasi noir slash revolution novel <clears throat> that just it just feels repetitious and overwrought than actually anything fun. Mm -hmm. it's, it's less than the sum of its parts, and it disappoints me. Yeah. Because some of the parts are good. So, yeah. I, I, what, I, what I would... Uh, here's here's a idea. One of the things that SFF Audio Podcast might be doing is trying to figure out what science fiction is. Um, <laughs> I, I have I, I've sort of had a thesis for a long time of what I think it is. Um, but that's it's sort of a little bit too simple, so I don't think most people just, like, they don't take it on board. But what I, I'm sort of doing is I'm just exploring the things I'm interested in, right? So we did, Paul, not that long ago, um, Taipei. Yes. Which is not a science fiction novel by most people's definition. I mean, it's set in the South Pacific in, what, the 1830s or 40s? Um, and there's no major spaceships or aliens landing. Um, but it is, I think, influential on a lot of uh, science fiction. And here's a novel that explicitly is set on Mars with rockets and, you know, Martians and domes and rebreathers or superchargers or whatever. Um, and it's people complain it's not science fiction. So um, uh, back in May, um, I sent this to you guys. I don't know if you noticed it. It was an editorial um, in Science Fiction Quarterly, February 1957. This is when that uh, first hardcover of um, Erica Van Lynn's um, Police Your Planet came out. And uh, I'll just read the introduction, uh, the opening part of it here. You may have no. this is by Robert uh, W. Lowndes, who's also a famous editor, although not quite as famous as Del Rey, because he was mostly in magazines. You may have noticed that the major trade book firms are not publishing science fiction anymore. <laughs> 1957. Yeah. That is, they aren't bringing out books labeled science fiction. P. Schuler Miller complains about this in a recent edition of the Reference Library, which is a, a column, I think, in that magazine. Um, and I have heard some substantiating comments elsewhere. In fact, rumor has it that a recent and successful book was, quote-unquote, sold because the higher-ups took the line that, there that it wasn't science fiction. Good heavens! No, not that. Just the sort of Bridie Murphy stuff, you know? Then one hears bewildered remarks to the effect that some of the recent novels that have been labeled science fiction, such as the new Avalon series, aren't exactly science fiction. After all, take Three to Conquer by Eric Frank Russell, 
uh, call him dead. I guess that's the short, short story that it was derived from. Why, that's a suspense story. Or Police Your Planet by Eric Van Lynn. That's a crime-busting tale, and so on. Where the objectors seem, where the objectors seem to be asking is the science fiction. Um, <clears throat> so the thing is, is this doesn't feel like a science fiction novel because it. Uh, and if you read some of the editorial defenses in the letters that I tried to include in the, um, I think I included them in the PDF. Maybe I didn't. Um, he, uh, that is Del Rey. <clears throat> was saying, it's science fiction, trust me. <laughs> yeah. but, but more importantly, when you people, were, people were saying it didn't need to be set on Mars. This is just a historical thing. right? You're, you could just, it, it doesn't need to be set on Mars. It's just a, I, I think somebody on Goodreads called it Gangs of New York, right? Yeah, it is. It's, mm-hmm. a, gangster, it's a gangster story. Right. And you see a lot of people talking about westerns also. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, Lawless mm-hmm. Wild West story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Which is so, the Tin Horn reference. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there, there's almost no, um, there's almost no concrete ideas that are particularly science fictional in this book. Eh? Mm-hmm. What's right. that you're going to say, Paul? Yeah, there's no speculative element. Right. So uh, I, I will point out one thing that um, uh, Eric taught me that I think is quite interesting. Um, and it, it, he's not, like, that is, Del Rey is not super good at what he's doing, but he is identifying certain things. So one of the things that Eric uh, is famous for, I tweeted this, I don't think I added you guys, though, um, is in his study of uh, science fiction um, as sort of an academician, right, was that he came up with this phrase, a transformed language, which uh, is he, he talks about it in the essays you can get from the teaching company or whatever the version of the teaching company is called now. Um, and basically what it means is you take uh, something you're, you're very familiar with, um, that we're all familiar with, and you transform it so that people understand it and it gives you an impression of the world in which you're living. So it happens in this story. Uh, what's, the, what's the wife's name? It's not Sheila. Is that? Cuddles, Sheila. Cuddles, Cuddles. Cuddles. (laughs) Which also, yes, that noiry kind of a thing. uh, He comes home from work. He takes off, Gordon comes home from work. She takes off his boots. Mm -hmm. um, And he's tired, but she's even more tired because she has a regular job now, too. And so he, what does he do? He goes in the kitchen and he sands the dishes for her, right? Because Mm -hmm. water's too precious to use to wash dishes. So what do you do? You sand the dishes. Now, I expect that this actually happens in real life places where you've got um, water shortages that you just... Yeah, pioneer stories would often have things like that. Exactly. But that is the exact sort of thing that is what Eric's is calling transformed language. This is designed to give you an impression um, of a whole world going on in the background that you don't see in the text. And I think it does a it does do exactly so when I was reading it the first time in paperback, I, I thought this is a cool science fiction novel. Um, what makes it really science fiction though, I think is 
what makes anything really science fiction is that it has ideas going on in the background. And I think there are ideas in here. It's just so scattershot that he isn't really following through with any of them. So he's, um, unlike Olaf Stapleton, who doesn't even write a novel, he just writes a book that's it's just ideas, idea after idea after idea. It's not, there's no story, really. There's a beginning, as in the first page, and there's an end, there's the last page, and maybe it's set over a period of time, but there's no characters, or if there are, they almost never ever get any names. Um, it's just idea after idea after idea. And, you know, this is happening somewhere, and that's happening, and wow, amazing, look at this, and it's just full of ideas. So um, that's what I think is really important to think about when you're thinking about what science fiction might be, is that science is ways of knowing. And what are we trying to know is, you know, the world and reality. So um, here's the problem. I think he doesn't know what he, he's doing when he starts. And he ends in sort of uh, a very useful trick that I've seen many very clever writers doing, including Philip K. Dick. We just makes it symmetrical, right? So he starts one way and he ends the same way, right? He ends up with another yellow ticket going to the place he was promised he wouldn't have to go to at the end. Um, yeah, things are slightly different because he's got a wife now. But well, I we, think well, in, in amongst all of this stuff that's happening in the, in the plot and the beatings and, <laughs> you know, the revolutions and the dome punchings and all that stuff is... He's thinking about what people were thinking about in the 1950s, which is goddamn communists, right? Um, and how do revolutions happen? And I don't know, but here are the words that are in there. So that's what I think is going on, and I think it's interesting as an artifact. Uh, sorry, Paul, what are you going to say? No, no, I'm fine. You, you more or less uh, got where I was going. Okay. All right. But is he thinking about communism? He seems more to be thinking bit, about think. imperialism because North America is the enemy. Colonialism. Everything, everything that is so. This is all. It's, it's like when I explain to my students why certain things are happening in the world. I always like you know go back. I, I have this big book. It's it's like it's it's a big big world. It's called and it's a huge book. It doesn't fit on the bookshelf. I have to put it between two bookshelves. It's just a big geography book about our uh, map book basically it's an atlas um but instead of just having the continents and the countries it has the continents the countries and the resources so you see okay this this place has oil and this place has i don't know electrical power and this place has aluminum right um and you say well why are people doing x y or z right um it's usually something combination of geography and resources you know these resources are there. Certain people want to control those resources so they can control stuff. So things are happening in this way. And historically, this is, you know, you know, if you look, analyze World War II, you say, why are things happening this way? Um, well, you know, why is Hitler driving uh, into southern Russia? Because, well, that's where the oil fields are, right? He wants the oil so he can power his military. Um why is he securing, you know, this border, and why doesn't he care about that one? Well, you know, there's this consideration and that consideration. It's like the game Catan. Yeah, I think that uh, the, the, uh, I, I've not played an, an extensive amount of Catan, but it, 
it is about resources, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I think he, the geography in this book is so undercooked that when we do get a brief glimpse of what life is out, like outside of Marsborn, I wanted to spend way more time there. I wasn't entirely certain. Okay, so the air is thin, but is it that thin that people would die? Because I, I kept thinking back to uh, Komar, the Lois Bujol novel, where, mm. where, they, where they have domes, and at one point the characters go outside and have rebreathers, and there's a plot point involving evolving somebody's air running out and i kept saying is that what it's like on mars but then they talk about children adapting to it so i wasn't quite sure what his mars was actually like i mean i mean then, then there's points in the in the novel where he's talking about oh yeah they don't need mars but they could just live in the country it just seems like well which is it i can't seem i can't seem to uh, really get this nailed down he seemed to be changing our idea from from paragraph to paragraph as to what mm-hmm. the outside is yeah. like He's he's interested in it, but I think he he's realizing he's going to derail what is already an overly long book. I mean, uh, you could you could tell an interesting story about that, like about the Martians deciding. I mean, we there's like no, Heartland we, Hinterland is so important to you know the Can, Canadian experience, right? What what do they teach in in Canadian social studies classes? Um, we have a problem. We are the resources. For we are the or uh, there's a, like a whole thing you can study is like branch plantism, right? Uh, the way Canada gets its its uh, industry is to insist that you know United States build factories in Ontario, right? Uh, car factories, and and so we'll, we'll just be satisfied with the fact that yeah we don't own our own car industry, we just have branch plants, so we have jobs, and we're the heartland hinterland. So. Um, uh, we're, we're the hinterland to the United States heartland, and then Ontario is the heartland for Canada, and then Toronto is the heartland for Ontario, right? And and that relationship between the outsiders and the insiders is actually sort of fundamentally what's going on in this colonial system that we're only getting a light little peek of. There's a dystopia on Earth in this in this police your planet. We just don't get to see it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, we know it's a dystopia because um, whistleblowers are sent, you know, uh, sent to, he, co- to, he, to person colony planet. So yeah, yeah, and more importantly, he, he his whistleblowing, as far as I can tell, he was actually like a corrupt um, uh, journalist who just w- did a little bit too much, you know, actual journalism because. They said it was good that you exposed that, but you did it in the wrong time, so now you're out. Right? Yes. They wanted him to, you know, it, it's like he got the tip off, um, he got the leak, um, and he got it from the wrong leaker, and because of that, now he's in trouble. Right? That that this is, you know, why you've got a vendor. That explains something about his personality that I never understood because I thought if he was somebody who'd been a journalist who exposed these secrets or whatever, and the government was mad. And I kind of thought of him as then you're an upright guy looking for the truth. And that yeah. never panned okay. out. He was no. not a great guy. You know, no. No. Yeah. So I was confused from the beginning. Well, I yeah. think, I think he's, he's corrupt just like everybody, but he's, he also isn't completely corrupt. Um, and that was the essential problem. 
But it, it's almost like the, the heroes are the agency who you never really get a, a look at. And it turns out everybody's basically a spy. It's uh, it's East Germany here, right? Yeah, everybody's got a secret badge, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's all over the place here. Um, but one of the one of the things I tipped you guys to uh, uh, there's a scene where in the book um, they they mention you know they're having a revolution and he says well, I don't know one of his bosses says uh, we're gonna eat strawberries and cream and I was like oh I just heard that phrase right and there's this scene in this movie I watched I watched this Russian movie on YouTube. Called. Oh, that's why you like that's that. That's right. It's a really interesting movie. Um, it's called White Tiger, and the tiger is a tiger tank, a Nazi uh, uh, panther tank. Um, and uh, it's a very strange movie because it's it's kind of the premise is almost like Moby Dick. Um, there's this ghost tank, um, and the Germans are afraid of it. It's on their their side, but it's killing, uh, you know, T-34s and the Eastern Front. And um, this sort of Jesus figure who survives an encounter with it uh, comes uh, out of 90 degree burn, 90% of his body covered in burns, comes out of it uh, with no memory of his life before. He just knows tanks. And then uh, he miraculously recovers from his injuries and almost all of his burns on his body go away. And uh, they, because, you know, it's the Russian army, they just put him back in another tank. Um, You're good at this. <laughs> he is good at this. And um, and then, you know, when they form this special unit to, uh, with a special tank to go after this mysterious white tiger that's blowing up all their T-34s, um, uh, they put him in charge. And they find him in a field praying to the god of tanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they, like it. it's a very very strange Russian movie. Yeah. <laughs> it Every, sounds like wow. that wow. Steven, early Steven Spielberg movie with Dennis Weaver and the truck that keeps yeah, trying to drive yeah. over him, you know, oh, yeah. in a way. Not that he's a Jesus figure, cool. but it's just that. Yeah, it is. It's very strange. And the thing is, is that, that we never actually find out what the secret of that that white tiger was. Yeah. But what we do like know. Truck. They sort of implies that there's there's no there's no crew in it, right? And his yeah, exactly. Um, and the the um, I guess there is a a comic called The Haunted Tank, um, with Jeb Stewart, General Jeb Stewart, a Southern a cavalry officer in the Civil War, is haunting a tank during World War II on the American side. Like, why? Okay, whatever. Good name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was cool. Anyway, the modern so, cavalry. Yeah, and that's funny because I'm reading rereading the Killer Angels now. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, uh, long story short, um, this movie has two really strange scenes at the end because, um, it starts with only these, two. Uh, no, yeah, two, no, uh, no, no, no. I mean, no, the rest of it is sort of like weird fiction, right? And tank tank movie. Um, but then we get to the end. And there's this long, the very end, we get, there's a long scene with Hitler, even though Hitler's dead by this point in the movie, and he's in a room, and he's talking to somebody, but that person is in shadow, and and he's saying, this is my dream, I, I all I was doing is bringing to the, uh, for the unconscious uh, desire of Europe, which to, which was for this, you know, war, and, you know, a bunch of evil ideas, right? 
Um, and that shadowed figure is never revealed. And I'm like, who the hell's that guy? I have no idea. And he's like, that the European psyche? Is that the audience? Who is that guy? Right? In the shadows that we never see and never responds to what Hitler is saying, but just sits there and listens. <laughs> um, so I don't know that part. But there's this other scene, which is even more, uh, was just equally baffling, but now is not baffling at all, where at the uh, after they take Berlin... Uh, the Russians uh, make the uh, sorry the Germ- the Russians make the German officers sign the the unconditional surrender and it's a very formal ceremony and um and then it's very awkward and then they leave and we follow them into their into dinner where they're served a very nice dinner and they talk about the food a very long strange scene where just you see these German officers we've never seen in the movie before. Uh, talking about the food and and then they finish the food and the Russians bring it in dessert and they set down the dessert and then they leave and then one of the Germans says to the other German what is this? And he says it appears to be strawberries and cream and they start eating it and I says oh I think this is from that restaurant that we used to go to and the other one says I've never tasted strawberries and cream before i'm like what what the hell is this and then i read this book i'm like oh i got it so you remember that reference in the book strawberries and cream no this is a revolution we'll all eat strawberries and cream come the revolution will all eat cream yeah um so this Mm. is this is um the revolution was brought to the germans whether they liked it or not in the movie uh-huh. Uh, and you know it wasn't so much they were rewarding them for signing the documents as ha 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 the revolution has come whether you liked it or not um we we won and that's kind of a weird way of putting it but here right that dream of revolution that when the revolution comes it's it doesn't have to be communism it is any time where you have a downtrodden people who, you know, if they get a chance to flip things over to have that revolution, um, will be able to taste what the rich people always have, which is apparently strawberries and cream. So I think there, there's, there's some, you know, he's, he's sort of playing all these ideas out, and he just doesn't let any of them gel long enough to, you know, any one of them gel long enough to really develop into a... Mm-hmm. A particular idea, and I think that's why it is a weak science fiction novel, even though it is a science fiction novel. If but is it the idea that when there's a revolution, the <clears throat> end doesn't justify the means, and that's why you eat strawberries, but uh-huh. you scream. You're like Judas, who had um, no. the 30 yeah. pieces. That's the that's the context. He, he says... Um, yeah. Uh, Gordon should have been satisfied, but he felt like Judas picking up the 30 pieces of silver. He tried to swallow them with the dregs of his coffee, and they stuck in his throat. Comes the revolution, and we'll all eat strawberries and scream. So the the methods used um, betray uh, the yeah, end, sort out. And then at the end of the book, um, in the second last chapter, um, the... Is it the security officer that says that's what we like about Gordon? Uh, he uses all the wrong means, but uh, he gets the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I, 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 I don't know about the the scream. I do know about the cream. Um, come but it said the scream revolution. because I was confused by the whole thing at that yeah. point. I was like, strawberries will eat strawberries and scream. Did that is that s in there wrong? Cause so yeah. that yeah, I, and you're right when he says Judas because that's the whole you know. Everybody argues about Judas's motivation, but what's not argued about is he's sorry about it later. Mm. Um, the thirty pieces of silver gets thrown back at them. At uh, the, by the way, it isn't. Uh, do you notice right at the beginning how many pieces he tears his yellow ticket into? Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought Julie was going to. Yeah, appreciate that. But. No, I. I'm sorry. I lost so much interest in the book that <laughs> anything <laughs> like that, I was just like, none of it makes any sense. He's got a lot of ingredients, but he's too he's he's busy in the kitchen, some things are burning and <laughs> <laughs> he's got a magazine to run and yeah. Did anyone look at, at James Blisher's um review in um Ooh no, what is the, the issue at hand? Um so he says that um he compares the book to um Zola and he, his idea is that it's naturalism, so it's it's mm. it's dirty, it's gritty, it's gruesome, but it's not realism. So he makes some distinction yeah. between the two. So and then after he says um, that it's came at a time, or he's he's has it supposedly in the review. He hasn't finished the the serial, and he says it comes at a time when. Um, uh, certain unpleasant. <laughs> on my iPad is is reacting to me. Sorry. Um, some unpleasant um, uh, subject matter is taken into um, uh, science fiction, and the unpleasant science fiction, the unpleasant matter is violence and normal sexual relationships. <laughs> well, I mean, well, they 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 have a bundling scene, which I thought was. <laughs> Very old-fashioned. Uh, like, that the normal sexual relationship? Maybe that's normal. No, in the serial, they kiss. Okay. But is, they is, also is, mention the bundling when yeah, they're lying on the bed sleeping. And they're going to sleep. Bundling's in the in the audiobook and the uh, yeah the version. In, in the serial, they kiss. She gropes for his knife and he pushes hard on his knife to make sure it doesn't um, come out. Right. Um, uh oh. Okay. <laughs> and there's. <laughs> Another scene that's in in the novel, and he says he has a normal reaction to her. Um, uh, yeah, he does. something about her shape, and he has a normal reaction to her, and then it just goes nowhere. Yeah. Yes. So that's the the naughty um, uh, part for a, a 1953 science fiction audience. Oh, salacious. I was just the word you took the word right out of my mouth. Oh. <laughs> oh my! So maybe the violence, maybe maybe that's the idea is um, that he could do that sort of thing in a science fiction novel. That's one of his. It's not a speculative idea, but deciding that the time was right that he could mm. do that violence, that breaking of bones and and smashing heads in and and killing and killing and killing. Mm. It's sort of it's almost like Samuel Beckett um, uh, in in a science fiction story. It's just over and over. Um, well, Samuel sort of Beckett, this is so much better. Yeah. Well, of uh-huh. course. <laughs> it's well, just also, a, Mr. Del Rey, but he's trying to um, do a sort of trance 
writing in science fiction with a um, an unfamiliar um, uh, content. Uh, science fiction normally even then wasn't that gruesome. Um, and Bl- uh, Blish says that it was humorless, mm. but, um, accurate, yeah. but I, I don't think it's humorless. I, I think the um, the voting chapter was. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy that. That was, was totally funny. humorous. Yeah. Yes. Um, and early and often. Historical, too. I yes. Mean, it's- um, and also, it's funny when you were talking about all that, Terrence, it made me think of Alfred Bester. Yes. Who could do the incoherence and c- could hold it together and could yeah. throw those but ideas he's out so there. Raw, powerful, right? Right, what and it had is not right. It had the grittiness, it had the rawness and the power and all that, like you're saying. But he somehow, I guess that's the difference between a great writer and a medium writer. Um, he could hold it together and bring it home and, to and where. Then- and also mm-hmm. really hang on to it, yeah. And also do a lot better line by line as far as dialogue and style and and cadence and meter. I mean, Tensor yeah. said uh, the Tensor. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah yes. That, that that song that yes. just gets in your head. He, he had a tone for that that Del Rey, frankly, does not. Yeah, and it's just so when you said that, I could see where maybe even the reason he's continually defending this isn't just because he wrote it. It's because he's like, I'm expecting people to pick up on strawberries and cream. Damn it. Why does no one get this? And well, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make him more in the, in the public consciousness back then. It, well, and I don't want to make him too smart, but it, it's that thing of if he has all this roiling around in there and he's trying to get it out, he's just no Alfred Bester. No. Um, I can give him that much credit, um, but that's all the credit I'm giving I him. Mean, I mean, it'd be, it'd be like somebody writing a novel now and putting in tossed salad and scrambled eggs, which people oh, won't God. get so much anymore. <laughs> they get it back yeah. in the 90s, but yeah. now it's kind of falling out. Yeah, but that's not revolutionary, Paul. <laughs> no, no, but, but the, the whole idea, it's like picking up on references you're t- and motifs. You're telling yeah, a different... About, uh, Occupy and and 1%, that, that's the sort of thing that we would be uh, more familiar with. Yeah. I uh, I am not, I've not read, I, I've not read the play, I've not seen the movie, I've not read the book, um, but is this not a little bit like Les Miserables? Um, uh, no. no. No? No, I don't no. think so. Well, the book does go of, off on all kinds of tangents, and I've only read part of it because of that. I keep trying yeah. it. and Digression but, is what people call it. But he does have a clear through line yeah. that he comes back to over and over again, and, and at least in the movie, the musicals. It's supposed to be about redemption, too, which uh, I think we don't have here, but it's Agreed. also kind of a redemption because he's, he's popped. Well, he gets the girl, and he has something that could be a real life together since she's going to go with him, and I think that's the redemption is in spite of the horribleness and now you're getting sent to Mercury – they could build something together that will make everything else be fine. I mean, but, not be okay, uh, but they can get through it. That's you know? true. But we didn't, there was no reason for her to, to change her mind. Like we, there was no, there was no good reason for her to have a, a, a change of mind, you know, like, Oh no, it's horribly written. It, it was just so, I so don't retract like, how could that. the redemption yeah. work if, if there was, if it didn't really happen, you know, because I say it worked. That's yeah. why it worked. 
Because well, she's see, hungry for a women, relationship. Women's and she's psychology like, like in the 50s the is different than women's psychology. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jesse. That makes it so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I know the part where he's like forcing her down and he's going to kiss her. And I'm like, oh, my. I, well, I'm just going to walk in this room for a week and I'll be back. Oh yeah, yeah. No, but I think based on how how little depth it has, he was trying to show that she was already interested. He was cute or whatever, and he was like, "Well, you seem all right in a way, and I'm fighting it." And it was and your boots do look like they pinch your feet, so I'm going to pull those off. Well, and he's really it's really cliched, but it's almost like the arranged marriage or the pioneer uh, thing of my wife died and I have two kids, and you're here and you're not married, and and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's that we're thrown together, and so let me take your boots off. That's right. Right. They don't have they don't have dating apps. Uh, back then, right? So, <laughs> but a good foot rub goes a long way. If a lady tries to stab you or uh, break a bottle over your head in the streets on Mars, you know, you're destined to be get. I think we all remember the sixth grade and how boys indicated their interest. <laughs> and girls. That's the level we're going for here. That's right. It's very interesting. <laughs> anyway, that was just... So I... Because I allowed the rest of the dumb book to go on, I allowed for that and was like, well, you know. You finished it. Uh, I, that's that's something. Jesse, would you, would you I did it for it you. In, yeah. Would you yeah. have finished it on your own? Oh, absolutely not. No? no? Okay. I would have stopped it a third of the way in. I'm sorry mm-hmm. about that then. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know to... what? I have finished other books for you ah, that okay. I have actually really enjoyed. So oh, good. You know, yeah, so the the point of a book club or this or anything else is, am I going to ever see anything different if I only stay in my bubble? And you sometimes these things push me out, so I was willing to give it a shot. It, And, you know, usually you live up to it, man. Well, it's only it was only five hours. It's not much of a commitment. So like, <sighs> it was like eons. <laughs> it may have been just a few hours of reading, but it was eons. It's true. I made uh, Wayne June read uh, uh, the 60-hour Jerusalem. <laughs> I say, hey, Wayne, why don't you read this? Uh, let me know how it is. <laughs> he loves you that much, Jesse. Don't do that to him. 60 hours. Mm. Can you believe that? <laughs> that's crazy. That's, a, that, that, that's, that's not reading a book. That's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah. And already he's already finished it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And he started. He said he was going to consider reading it again from the beginning, just to, like, <laughs> to get 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 it. It's wow. It's his this is not a commitment. This is a book that after you finish reading it, you're like, oh yeah, it's done. Yeah. In a few years, you go, yeah, I did read a book that. Wait, it sounds like this thing I read, but I can't remember anything about it except it was I, awful. I really, I, I, what I was thinking is baseline science fiction, right? Baseline <laughs> science fiction, not like. No, it doesn't um, count. Because, no, look, Isaac Asimov wrote a bunch of books that are not good, right? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a bunch of books that are not good. They also wrote some amazing treasures, right? Both of them. Um, Lester Del Rey didn't write that many, but he was highly influential on on publishing. And well, what he picked for paperbacks and the whole paperback versus... industry... Picking versus talent. You should have had us read something he picked. 
<laughs> and then we could have talked about well, it. Well, he did pick this one as well. No, I mean, stop one of it. Little... Jesse, you know what I mean. Don't even try to defend it. <laughs> uh, uh, that is the whole defense, basically. I, uh, I didn't expect it to be an amazing book. What I expected it to be was exactly sort of what I was... Uh, I, I didn't remember it being this sort of uh, you're talking me out of okay you better say you didn't remember i'm like are, how am i going to get through the next book if this is how you're picking a man no i didn't remember it being okay. anywhere near this shotgun i uh, what i remember is the setup and the um yeah uh, the dome and yeah yeah and i think the boots and stuff like that you know and then I'm, <laughs> I'm a spy and you're a spy and we're all spies and the natural reactions of course you remember that i yeah a little bit <laughs> Mostly, I remember him That's taking. Why I was there? Uh, you know, her trying to stab him, or what was it? No, it was um, I, I yeah, she was trying to. And what, what about the drugs? There was drugs in this book too, right? Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was another thing that you sort of like. You, usually, in a science fiction book prior to this, if there's drugs, it was a drug that did some particular <laughs> thing. Right? Whereas this is just. This is just street drugs, the drugs that make your life more bearable when you're in a terrible situation. One one of the lines mm-hmm. in here wasn't there something like because they're all starving to death, they up the dosage of the you know the distribution of the drug that makes everybody yeah a social control yeah yeah um, and he's building his army but, and but, yeah, but again undercooked. I mean yeah there's, there's it's totally. interesting ideas there but it doesn't do anything with it which really frustrates me yeah. Yeah. Exactly, because that all that makes me do is wish I'd read Mockingbird by Walter Tevis. Come on, which we should read, except I think there's no audiobook. Oh, but you should read it anyway. It's amazing. Oh, well, so much better than this. Huh? Um, I, I found chapter two. I was wrong. There is a chapter two. Oh. Um, was it just not labeled? Yeah, there, it, it's there. It's um, page sixteen. Um, but yeah, the, n- none of them have um, names, which is one of the major changes. Um, and I, I really, lo- I was thinking like, why that is that books used to have, or at least some of them used to have uh, chapter names. And, and thinking about Taipei, how their chapter names tell you everything that happens in the whole chapter. It's really great. And also <laughs> some things that are not going to happen in the chapter, but sound cool. <laughs> um, I think we talked about this last time. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a definite lack in terms some, of just a one sentence or a few words are good. Yeah, yeah. So when I was putting this audiobook together, that's that. Uh, I was thinking, well, I could take those out. You know, after uh, editing it up together, I take out the. This is a LibriVox <laughs> recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Org. Right. Um, that is at the beginning and. Uh, of every chapter, because over and over again. But um, what what to include and what not to include is kind of uh, fun. Um, he yeah. didn't. Uh, the narrator didn't put his name in the in the audiobook until the end. So I I swapped that to the beginning as a standard sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So we all know who to look for or avoid in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is his only his only one. Um, oh. Christian, uh, I think is his name. Um, but I, uh, uh, honestly, if you just increase the speed by 1.2, you're good. Well, I'm never going to know because it's only this book. <laughs> yeah. So far. All right. Thank you. I think we 
pretty much finished it, right? Yeah. I just looked up Mockingbird um, mm-hmm. on Audible, and it exists <gasps> as an audiobook. But I can only see it when I'm not connected to my account, huh. because automatically, oh. because I'm in France, it's it's not available for me. But it oh. does exist. Who is this by? Walter Tevis. Walter Tevis. T-E-V-I-S. It is so amazing. Scott and I did an episode on it after I discovered it, but I would so talk about it again. There it is. Science fiction novel by American writer Walter Tevis, first published 1980. Okay. Which my mother discovered and told me I had to read. Hmm. So there it is. When you read it, be impressed, because she also is the one who loves Alfred Bester so much. In a world where the human population has suffered <laughs> devastating losses, a handful of society... Slivers cling to what passes for life in a post-apocalyptic dying no, da- landscape. Oh crap! Paul's gonna do the audiobook. Hey Paul. <laughs> no, no, if you, no, no, if you want to put this on the schedule, Jesse, yeah, this uh, this sounds exactly what I'd want to read. Yes, well, let me it's find... what we wanted, you guys. Except it's on Earth and it's so good. Where's my review? Ugh. I can I can schedule this. An elegant okay. dystopia of mankind coming to terms with its own imminent extinction. Oh, it was, it was a Nebula nominee. And androids, or at least one. Ten hours. Ten hours. Nine hours, 42 minutes. I, I think that's so. doable, Jesse. I think Je- I think Julie... I like your enthusiasm. In a dying world where humans are drugged and lulled by electric bliss. Where's my review? Damn it. Okay. All right. I'm getting it now. Yes, that sounds really good. I'm sorry, I can't send it to you, Terrence, because you're not in North America. (laughs) Scott's got a thing where he can take off the the stuff. Okay. I was going to say, you don't have that, Jesse? Come on. I have pirate powers. Okay. Um, I'm going to put my review. There's my Goodreads review. People may or may not want to read it. How spoilers. Spoilers. I was going to say, how spoilers. I can't read it now. Spoiler free. Rune, uh, yeah, but see, it says five stars now. I can't. Now I won't be surprised. <laughs> you yeah, couldn't hey. tell that from my voice earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it was plus five stars. Wow. Yeah. Why have I never heard of this magnificent book before? Thank goodness my mother, eighty years old and never afraid of a Kindle Daily Deal, read it and commanded me to do likewise. Hello. Eh? That's how I discovered the Resi Project. So yes, well, I did it, it. It is a Nebula nominee, so. It, it did get some recognition at the time, but apparently, yeah, it's fallen off the radar because I've never heard of the author or this book. And I, I heard Davis, but I didn't know about it. He this did The Man book. Who Fell to Earth, which I've tried to oh, read and not Is that to him? get through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit. Okay. Then I have he heard of He also did one about chess, which everybody says is the most amazing book ever, and I couldn't get into that, but no, this one I love. No, no, the, oh. no. The good chess novel you want to read is Squares of the City by John Brunner. Oh. That's 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 the chess motif novel, that okay. science fiction novel that you want to read. And I believe okay. that is on. Is that on audio? Because I think I've tried to sell Jesse on that one for a couple of times now. I will. Squares I like your enthusiasm for this, and I, I will reciprocate for that. No, okay, <laughs> never mind. I'm going to put it. Look, see. I bet the library has it. Where's the city's not on Audible? That's disappointing. I, the the book I was just talking about that one's yes. not on Audible. That's hey now, yeah. 
Hey now, check your oh, Dropboxes. You do so fast. Uploaded oh. in. Wow. Yes. Jesse, oh. you're the best ever. Two minutes before. Imagine it's if ready. you were well, Jesse. What you could do? Huh? <laughs> I know. It's really terrifying. Honestly. It's terrifying. It's going to okay. take two minutes to upload. All right. Okay. Well, that's okay because I have to be on my other computer where but all my logins are saved. Okay. So, um, how about next week? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have to. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Hi, guys. Or banter, anyway. Well, we can banter, and we can amuse ourselves. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right, I have it on the schedule as being in the right order, so don't fight me on this, Julie. Jesse, Paul, Mike, and Julie Terrence, Okay. Okay, I'm after Misa. Your yeah, uh, Jesse, Paul, Misa, Julie, Terrence. Good. All right. Um, We can banter now if you want. I just wanted to get that out of the way so that. Oh no, you strictly made. We're not bantering now. Okay. (laughs) Thanks to that rule. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wait, that was bantering. Fighting again. All right. Okay. Um. I got a rec- one recorder going, and I'm going to get another one going. And what time is it there, Julie? Because I'm uh, oh, it's ten. So oh, I'm the yeah. usual two hours is. Yeah, that's know. fine. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't go that long in this book. I hope your voice lasts that long, Jesse. I have four <laughs> hours of classes later, so. Oh no! And I still have to edit up the podcast going up. So. You'll have to hardly talk. Can you do that? <laughs> Ooh, no, I yeah. can't. I'll just have silent classes later. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, as long as you know what's important. That's right. Okay. Um, I have uh, sent out, finally, I got it all processed. Terrence, did you get a copy of that? You were interested. The um, PDF from the original oh, yes. application. Okay. There's stuff that's different from um, the, the novel publication, and um, it's... Oh. It's got uh, more scenes in it, and it makes things um, clearer. It makes the um, oh. the motivations of um, uh, whatever her name is. I've forgotten her name. Hadali. Copy link. Right. So there was a different because I read the Project Gutenberg. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right. So I wonder mice, and I didn't like it. And and there's more um, interaction. Um, between them, it explains the sort of love-hate relationship, and um, oh. so I don't think it's. Um, I think it's a better novel than the original serial version. Got Do you want? Uh, y'all see that link I sent? Yep, I um, see it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's too late now. It's the one you just sent. Yeah, it's now I can see it now. Was this on Twitter? Yeah, it was on Twitter. Oh, I see it. Yeah, well, Twitter. I was on Twitter. I didn't see it there. I'm not on Twitter. I only finished it late last night. Well, that's all right. It was all a right. as usual. We can listen with great interest to how it's evidently better. <laughs> then I can understand all those five-star what reviews I saw. audio? Was that the original or this new and that's improved? That's the Gutenberg one. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... This is like a Frankenstein 1918, or I mean 1818-1830 situation then. I think we should start. Yeah, because we're... Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, man. All right. I can say it again. I'm going to finish <laughs> this P- 
piece of bagel that I can't taste. I can't taste anything. So oh. it could be a wonderful bagel. Jesse. Yeah. Sorry. That's the, it's like eating Martian sludge. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't fill you. Yeah. It just keeps you alive. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. Y'all ready? Ready. Mm-hmm. All right. 